The following message was recorded by Campus Outreach Minneapolis, the college ministry of Bethlehem Baptist Church. More information and resources can be found at cominneapolis.org. So, what I try, every time that I've ever used a PowerPoint thing, I've just used a black screen with the same white font, and, and I tried to branch out to use something different. But in the process, uh, I'm not sure how this PowerPoint thing is going to go. But I'm, I'm Paul Poteet. I'm the director of Campus Outreach. So all the staff who are on your campus, I'm their boss. If you've had some issues over the course of the school year and want to talk to me while I'm here, and we can, we can meet and do quality control with them. Hopefully they've been doing a great job. Um, if, you, if you want, that's my family. Um, Nikki Jillick, who is not with us tonight. Moment of silence for Nikki's hip. Um, silence over. Uh, she took this picture. It's right off the side of the interstate. She's pretty good at finding spots off the side of the interstate. That's my wife, Samantha. We've been married for 10 years. And then Maddox is seven. And uh, she's in a Chinese immersion school. So she's been in there for like a year and a half and can speak fluent, like first grader fluent Mandarin right now. And after this retreat tomorrow, I'm going to drive home for their big Chinese New Year's performance. Does anyone celebrate Chinese New Year in here? Yeah, what year is it? Oh, yeah, you know. You don't even celebrate. You didn't raise your hand. Um, so she's got a big dance for the year of the monkey, and, and they'll sing and dance in Chinese. I guess, I guess dancing in Chinese is kind of like dancing in English. Um, and then Sophie is my other daughter. She's five, and uh, she had her Valentine's Day party at school today. She was pretty excited about that, has eaten a lot of candy, and so I left, and then my wife's going to have a fun night tonight. Um, but that's, that's the Poteet family, and uh, I... I kind of grew up as the, the youngest in my family, so I've got three siblings, but my brother is eight years older than me, my sister Kim is 11 years older than me, and my sister Karen is 13 years older than me. So I like to think of myself as like a surprise, a, a blessing, the moment, um, <laughs> what, whatever, whatever you want to call it. <clears throat> but I didn't, I didn't really, I just grew up kind of like an only child, and so I didn't really know what to prepare myself for with, with having being the only guy in a house full of girls. And, uh, and so it's kind of led to some things I wasn't ready for. I've had to get, get more in touch with my emotions as I have gotten in touch with their emotions. I have a funny video on my phone that, that maybe I'll show you guys tomorrow. I showed it at some point last year, but it's really funny of my girls bawling at the end of a Tinkerbell movie. And it, it's, it's, pretty, it's pretty funny, but I, I've had to get in touch with that. <coughs> um, outfits, both of my girls have a really hard time, even at a young age, figuring out what they want to wear every day to school. And that, that's been kind of interesting. I, I think I wore the same clothes every day to school. And, uh, and, and they're not like that. But then also princesses. How many, how many of you ladies in here, I guess maybe guys too, <coughs> maybe you don't want to raise your hand, were like big into princesses when you were growing up? Or uh, a few of you. Well, and then there's some of you who didn't raise your hand because you didn't want people to know that you're big into princesses. Um, so my girls really like princesses. And <coughs> Sophie is starting to like Star Wars. She wants to have a Star Wars party next year <coughs> for her birthday. And, and that, I don't know if that's a parenting win or, or what that is for me. <laughs> um, De Devin and I got here early. This is Devin. Devin's, Devin's my, my roadie. Uh, so he's, <laughs> yeah, that's him. Um, so we got here early, and, uh, and we both liked Star Wars. And, and we were setting stuff up, and I played this Star Wars song on my phone. And then these people from the hotel came in here, and we're kind of working, listening to Star Wars movie. I mean, Star Wars music, and so it had to be like the quintessential moment of those guys walking out and being like, 
typical AV nerds, you know. <laughs> like they're here setting up, listening to Star Wars. This is what always happened. We played right into the stereotype. But up until that point, the movie that my daughters have loved the most is Frozen. How many of you have never seen the movie Frozen? There's only like four, five of you. Five of you who have been like in another country for the last two years. <coughs> so I, I want to start off tonight showing you a song from Frozen. Um, but here's the catch. I'm going to treat you a little bit like I treat my girls whenever this song comes on. Like whenever they saw the movie, they loved it. They, they wanted to listen to the songs and sing the songs. I downloaded the soundtrack. Uh, it, we listened to it in the car incessantly for a, a good year and a half so I know the words to every Frozen song, um, <coughs> and, and I sing it in my sleep. But I want to show you one. It's called uh, Fixer Upper. And um, the, I don't think that the context is all that important, but they're going to this group of, th there's this guy named Kristoff, and one of the sisters, there's Elsa and Anna, and Anna, Kristoff is taking Anna to the trolls because she's been like hit with an ice shard or something like that, and so she needs to be healed. Um, every time I talk about things like that, like very science fiction things up front, I feel like I should use like a nerd voice. Like she hit a big ice shard. Um, <laughs> and uh, it was just it's so crazy. They went to see the trolls. Um, <laughs> but the, the important thing is the song, and so the trolls are pretty excited that Kristoff that has brought a girl there because they want them to get married. And so now I'm going to let you be swept away and as my AV tech guy, Devin, um, takes you into this magical world of Frozen for a moment. What's the issue, dear? There we go. Why are you holding back from such a man? Is it the clumpy way he walks? What? Or the grumpy way he talks? Oh, no. Or the pear-shaped, square-shaped weirdness of his feet? Hey! And though we know uh. he washes well, he always ends up sort of smelly. But you'll never meet a fellow oh. who's as sensitive and sweet. That's nice, but so he's a bit of a fixer-upper. So he's got a few flaws. Like his peculiar brain, dear. This thing with the reindeer that's a little outside of nature's This laws. is not about me. So he's a bit of a fixer-upper, but this for certain love. You can fix this fixer-upper up with a little bit of love. Can we please just stop talking about this? We've got a real, actual problem here. I'll say. So tell me, dear, yeah. is it the way that he runs scared? Or that he's socially impaired? I bet he only likes to tinkle in the woods. I did not need to know that. Are you holding back your fondness due to his unmanly blondness? Or the way he covers a maybe the honest good? He's just a bit of a fixer-upper. He's had a couple of bugs. Someone else, okay? So she's a bit of a fixer-upper. That's a minor thing. Her quote engagement is a flex arrangement. And by the way, I don't see no ring. So she's a bit of a fixer-upper. Choices if they're mad or scared or stressed. But you're a little lost and 
Like whenever I'm driving in the car and this song comes on and my girls are singing the song and they sing the, I'm not saying you can change him because people don't. I always say that's not true, and then I then I pause the music and I say, girls, this song is trying to say that people don't change, and I don't believe that. We do not believe that. We believe that people can change, and if, and they kind of do too because they say we're not saying you can change him because people don't really change. I told you I, I know the words. It's 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 like this wasted space of RAM in my head. Um, we're only saying that love's a force that's powerful and strange. People make bad choices if they're mad or scared or stressed. <laughs> there it goes. Um, but what I want my girls to know, that, that's what we do whenever we watch movies, whenever there's songs on the radio, when there are things that come on in the movies or in the songs, I like to stop them and then talk about them with my girls. I, I don't really do a lot of, like if ever I got asked about my nightly devotions with my family, I, I'm just not a nightly devotion kind of guy. I'm a life is a devotion kind of guy. So in the midst of this song, then we're going to talk about the reality of change. And I say that because that's what I want to talk about tonight is change. Um, and I say every, I mean, if you have your little notebook, does anyone not have a notebook and want a notebook? They're, they're pretty fancy. As you've probably been perusing them, and you're like, man, this is a nice notebook. There's a few extra ones up here. So if, if you don't have one, you can get one. If you want an extra one because you like it so much, then you can get one up here. Do you need one? Does someone need one back there? All right. Um, you can take notes or write stuff down, but the, tonight is everyone is a fixer-upper. Uh, and, and, and what I mean by that is that whole song is about the, the awkward, weird things about a person that either you need to overlook or that you want to change. And, and I think that everyone wants to change in some way. Everyone wants to grow. I, it's hard for me to imagine that all of you would just be totally fine the way that you are. I mean, even there, I, I know you're not, because you're in college. And why are you in college? This is an easy one. You're, you, because you want to what? Yeah, learn, get an education, um, <laughs> party, whatever, whatever someone else up here said. Um, because you don't, you don't want to stay the same. And so even in this song where she's like, I'm not saying you, can, people don't, you, know, you can't change them because people don't really change. If that was true, then I think all of us would be really sad. Because all of us, I believe, really want to change. I, I really want to change. I, I look back on my life and think about the way that I've changed. I mean, how many of you, when you were, when you were growing up, did the little, like, stand beside the doorpost and measure, you know, measure your, your growth? Anyone in here do that? Yeah, yeah. Every, it's like when I walk into people's houses that have kids, it's like, where's the door? Like, there's got to be a door where they're measuring how much they grow, how much they change. And, uh, you know, we read, we... we uh, watch movies, watch shows, go to school, change our hair, buy a new shirt. Someone complimented me on my shirt. I got this shirt over the summer at a Banana Republic outlet because my style has needed to change. I've had to change my style when I got married. I can't wear the same clothes every day. My wife doesn't like that. Um, 
we, we also, we, we ask God to work in us, right? Like we want, we want change to happen in our lives. Here's, here's a way that, that C.S. Lewis said. I've got a couple of quotes tonight and uh, the longer ones I put on the screen so that I'm not just reading a long quote that makes you bored. He said, God became man to turn creatures into sons. That's change. Not simply to produce better men of the old kind, but produce a new kind of man. It's not like teaching a horse to jump better and better, but like turning a horse into a winged creature. Of course, once it has got its wings, it will soar over fences, which could never have been jumped, and thus beat the natural horse at its own game. But there may be a period while the wings are just beginning to grow when it cannot do so, and at that stage, the lumps on the shoulders, no one could tell by looking at them that they are going to be wings, may even get it an awkward appearance. Um, when, when I'm talking about change tonight, this is the kind of change I want to talk about. I don't just want to make, talk about change to make you a little bit nicer or a little bit better. There's another C.S. Lewis quote that Devin was sharing with me about, like, uh, God doesn't come in to just fix the gutters on your house or to fix a room. He comes in to demolish the house and build a palace in its place. And, and don't you want that kind of change? Like, if, if I said, what, you what God has in store for you this weekend is the most radical kind of change imaginable in your life. Would you be interested in that? Like, personally, I would. That, that's what I want, and that's what I want for you guys. Um, at the end, it said it may look even awkward, and uh, I read this article by, uh, like, a, on a blog about awkwardness, and I really liked it. He was talking about awkwardness. I shared an awkward moment of Matt's. There was an when I was thinking of awkward moments for me, like, where I felt really awkward, um, I took a seminary class one time down in Orlando with this guy. His name's Steve Childers, and he's, like, a, a famous theologian, church planner kind of guy, and there were only nine of us in the class, and it was during the, the Summer Olympics. And I'm sitting in the back of the class beside um, a, a pastor at our church named Ken Curry, and, and we're watching the Olympics. Uh, like, we've got it muted, but we're watching the Dream Team play basketball on his computer in the middle of the class, and it was a really good game. And, uh, and the professor goes, hey, excuse me, what are you guys doing back there? And in front of the whole class, and, and we were like, uh, we're... we're watching something on Ken's computer. And, and it, was, it, it was the most like, embarrassing, awkward experience to be called out like that by the professor who, who we've paid money to go see. And he knows that we're both full-time vocational ministers and pastors at a church. Um, but the, the awkward thing here, it, what the guy says is, what I mean by awkwardness is there's a gap between who, what you are and what you should be a gap between what you are and what you should be. If ever, how many of you have ever had like a really awkward moment? I, I would imagine all of you have. Some of you more than others. There, there are also people who don't really know that they're awkward, um, and maybe you're one of those. Um, Andrew Knight, if you guys ever knew Andrew Knight, he, had, he was one of those guys who would be really awkward a lot of times, but didn't really know he was being awkward. Uh, there's something about those people that I really love being around. <laughs> but uh, what I a gap between what you are and what you should be. A disconnect between the real you and the ideal you. The awkward moments and people, what they do is simply shine the spotlight on the gap, revealing the cracks in our humanity, no matter how shiny and cool we may seem on the outside. And, and I, I love that quote because I think all of you understand that there's a, there's a gap between who you are and who you want to be, who you'd like to be. Um, Maybe another way to say it would be the difference between your condition and your calling. So here's what I want you to do. Um, I, I want throughout, to, throughout my talk tonight and then tomorrow, I have these little bitty sections where I want you to take some time and think about something. 
So here's my reflection time for you, where it's just you, and you can write this down, you can talk with someone about it, but if you could change anything about you, what would you change? And, and don't just go straight to something physical. Like when I was growing up, I wanted to change my ears. I mean, you'll see me adjust this thing a number of times because I have big ears, and these things don't really fit on my ears. And I was born with the same size ears, and my body kind of grew into them. And so all my life growing up, I wanted to change my ears. Don't, don't think like that. And don't think circumstantial. Like my youngest daughter, she's got a disease. She has to get a shot every day. She's, it's an autoimmune disease. She can't be around other kids that are sick. It's been a really heavy thing in our lives for four years. And, and I would love to change that circumstance. I'm asking, what do you want to change about you? What would you change? If you could change anything about you, what would you change? Take a minute. That's where you can play like the Jeopardy music. You should have had that queued up. That, maybe that would be mood killer. But think for a minute. Write it down. Reflect. What, uh, now you don't have to find it. You don't have to find it. That's all right. What would you change about yourself? If, if God were here and said, what do you want to be different about you? What would you tell him? And that's a, that could be a really personal question. You know, I, I don't want to say, hey, now talk about it with your neighbor. Um, because I hope that some of you wrote down or thought about something that, that maybe you've, you've never talked to anyone about. Something that you're really embarrassed of. Something that, that you feel ashamed of. Something that's really painful or hard about your life. I mean, I, I know, I, if, if you're really honest, there have to be a few of you in here who would say something like that. Um, but but what, what would it be? Maybe later on tonight when you're sitting in the hot tub or the multi-pools, multi um, you can ask each other, what did you write down? And if it's, if it's personal, then say, um, it's kind of personal. And then you can have an awkward moment and then be like, that's what we're talking about. <laughs> I'm just trying to help you out. Pick up lines, awkward moments, whatever you want. So what I want to talk about is how do we change? How, how, do, how does someone change? What does that look like? And I've got a passage. You don't have to turn there because that's what PowerPoint's for. Um, Colossians 3, 9 through 11. Uh, this is the Apostle Paul writing to some Christians in, in Colossae. And he says, Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek or Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave-free, but Christ is all and in all. Let me pray. Um, God, you are the one who can bring about change. There's nothing I can say that will change anything or anyone in here, but you can. You spoke the world into being. You make us new. So you can bring about change, and so I pray, Lord, that people would leave this room tonight or, or this hotel this weekend and be different. That's, that's what we all want deep down is, is, is we, we feel that, that gap between who we are and who we want to be. And so would you do something? Would you work? Um, by the power of your spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, so I got three points for you. Uh, the first point of how to change from this passage is that change is traumatic. Um, and again, you can take notes. You don't have to. It's not going to hurt my feelings. Uh, but if you notice... He says that, what do you need? You need a new what? A new attitude, a new set of rules, a new standard. What do you need? A new self. That, that's a pretty significant thing. Um, there, there's a, this is quote isn't on here. 
Uh, I, I was at a, a sermon that John Piper preached, and he was talking about getting a new self or the new birth. Have you guys ever heard the phrase born again? I'm from South Carolina, and, and what a real Christian is, a born-again Christian. Um, and, and if you want to date a, a pretty girl, it's a, it's a seaback, a cute born-again Christian. There's a, a friend of mine, his grandfather would call girls seabacks. So she's a seaback. It's like, what's that? Like, you know, cute born-again Christian. Um, it's kind of awkward. That's what the South is. The South is awkward. Um, so I'm just trying to free everyone up to say and do awkward things, and that's all right. Um, so I- here's what, it, what Pastor John said in the sermon. He said, Jesus said to Nicodemus in John 3, 7, you must be born again. Not, I suggest it, or your life would improve if you added this experience. Why is it that unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God? Uh, and, and this is what he says. Um, Most people do not know what is really wrong with them. One way to help them make a true and terrible and hopeful diagnosis is to show them the kind of remedy God has provided, namely, being made new. If you have a sore on your ankle, and after the doctor does his test, he comes and says, I have hard news. We have to take your leg off just below the knee. That remedy would tell you more about the sore than many fancy words. So it is true with the remedy, you must be made new. So the fact that God says here, you need, to, you need a new self. You need a completely new you. What, what that tells you is that your old self is completely messed up. Like, like it, it is not good. It's not helpful. You need massive, total reconstruction of a new self. Like, how do you get a new self? What, what, what does that even look like? It's got to be a very significant thing. Um, and, and in this, you know, what, what that quote by John Piper and what this is getting at is your problem is really bad. It's not just, y- you need to be a little bit nicer. You should be good. It's, uh, I'm sorry to tell you, you need a new you. That's what you need. That's how bad your problem is. That's how bad your sin is. And, and we definitely don't like to be honest about how bad we are. Um, but it, it's, it's very significant. And a, a way that I want to talk about, again, when I thought about you guys tonight, I wanted to show you the Fixer Upper song because that, that's, that's fun. I do that kind of stuff with my girls. And I also read to my girls, so I'm going to read to you a little story. So if you're really tired, if you've had a long day, I hope that this isn't challenging. But um, it's a story out of a book by C.S. Lewis called The Great Divorce. And uh, if, you've ever, if you've never read it, basically it's people from hell that come to heaven and they interact with angels in heaven who try to convince them to leave hell and come to heaven. Um, so it, it's kind of a, a fascinating premise. And, uh, and so there's a guy who's walking around and he's observing these different interactions between angels and people about what they need. And, and so here's, here's the one that I'm going to read to you. So fight, fight, hearing the, se- the soothing sound of my voice and, and falling asleep. And listen to the story. Um, I saw coming towards us a ghost who carried something on his shoulder. So a ghost is a person from hell. Um, like all ghosts, he was unsubstantial, but they differed from one another as smoke differs from itself. Some had to be whitish. This one was dark and oily. What sat on his shoulder was a little red lizard, and it was twitching its tail like a whip and whispering things in his ear. As, as we caught sight of him, he turned his head to the reptile with a snarl of impatience. Shut up, I tell you, he said. It wagged its tail and continued to whisper to him. He ceased snarling and presently began to smile. Then he turned and started to limp westward, away from the mountains. Off so soon, said a voice. The speaker was more or less human in shape, but larger than a man, and so bright that I could hardly look at him. This is one of the angels. 
His presence smote on my eyes and on my body too, for there was heat coming like a, from him as well, like light, like the morning sun at the beginning of a tyrannous summer day. Yes, I'm off, said the ghost. Thanks for all your hospitality, but it's no good, you see. I told this little chap, here he pointed to the lizard, that he'd have to be quiet if he came, which he insisted on doing. Of course, his stuff won't do here, I realize that, but he won't stop, so I'll just have to go home. Would you like me to make him quiet? said the flaming spirit and angel, as I now understood. Of course I would, said the ghost. Then I will kill him, said the angel, taking a step forward. Oh, uh, look out, you're burning me. Keep away, the ghost said, retreating. Don't you want him killed? You didn't say anything about killing him at first. I, I hardly meant to bother you with anything so drastic as that. It's the only way, said the angel, whose burning hands were now very close to the lizard. Shall I kill it? Well, that's a further question. I'm quite open to consider it, but it's a new point, isn't it? I mean, for the moment, I was only thinking about silencing it up here, but, well, it's so embarrassing. May I kill it? Well, there's time to discuss that later. There's no time. May I kill it? Please, I I never meant to be such a nuisance. Please, really, don't don't bother. Look, it's going to sleep now of its own accord. I'm, I'm sure it will be all right. Thank you ever so much. May I kill it? Honestly, I I don't think there's the slightest necessity for that. I'm sure I shall be able to keep it in order now. I think the gradual process would be far better than killing it. The the gradual process is of no use at all. Don't you think so? Well, I'll think over what you've said very carefully. I honestly will. In fact, I'd let you kill it now, but as a matter of fact, I'm not feeling very well today. It would be silly to do it now. I'd need to be in in good health for the operation. Some other day, perhaps. There is no other day. All days are present now. Get back, you're burning me. How can I tell you to kill it? You'd kill me if you did. It's not so. Why, you're you're hurting me now? I never said it wouldn't hurt you. I said it wouldn't kill you. Oh, I know, you think I'm a coward. But it isn't that, really it isn't, I say. Let me run back tonight's bust, get an opinion from my own doctor, and I'll come again the first moment I can. This moment contains all moments. Why are you torturing me? You're jeering at me. How how can I let you tear me to pieces? If you wanted to help me, why didn't you kill the damn thing without asking me before I knew? It would be all over by now if you had... I cannot kill it against your will. It's impossible. Have I your permission? The angel's hands were almost closed on the lizard, but not quite. Then the lizard began chattering to the ghost so loud that I could hear what it was saying. Be careful, it said. He can do what he says. He can kill me. One fatal word from you, and he will. Then you'll be without me forever and ever. It's not natural. How could you live? You'd only be sort of a ghost, not a real man as you are now. He doesn't understand. He's only a cold, bloodless, abstract thing. It may be natural for him, but it isn't for us. Yes, yes, I know there are no real pleasures now, only dreams, but aren't they better than nothing? And I'll be so good. I admit, I've sometimes gone too far in the past, but I promise I won't do it again. I'll give you nothing but really nice dreams, all sweet and fresh and almost innocent. You might say, quite innocent. Have I your permission? said the angel to the ghost. I I know it will kill me. It won't. But supposing it did, you're right. You're right. It would be better to be dead than to live with this thing. Then I may. Damn and blast you. Go on, can't you? Get it over. Do what you like, bellowed the ghost, but ended whimpering, God help me. God help me. The next moment, the ghost gave a scream of agony such as I have never heard on earth. The burning one closed his hand around the reptile, twisted it while it bit and writhed and flung it, broken back on the turf. Oh, that's done for me, said the ghost, reeling backwards. For a moment, I could make out nothing distinctly. I saw between me and the nearest bush, unmistakably solid, but growing every moment solider, the upper arm and the upper shoulder of a man, then brighter still and stronger, the legs and hands, the neck and golden head materialized while I watched, and my attention had not wavered had I should seen the completing of an actual man, an immense man, not much smaller than the angel. 
I'll stop there. I love that story, that picture of the need to do something drastic, the, the need to, to get a totally new self, the need to kill things and put it to death. And if you want to change, I believe it's going to take something like that. And I wonder, in your life, what's the lizard on your shoulder? Um, maybe it's, it's something to do with your image. Maybe it's envying the people around you, comparing yourself to other people who are here. Maybe it's, your, it's self-righteousness. You, you think that you're better than, than people, that you don't, need to, you don't need this, you don't need to change. You're, you're pretty good compared to her. You're, you're thinking, I'm, I'm glad she's here hearing this. If, if you're thinking that, that's, that's, you're guilty. Um, maybe it's your pride. Maybe it's some other kind of comfort. Maybe it's some kind of addiction. Maybe it's control. I mean, if, if I was up here with a lizard on my shoulder, it would probably be control. It, it is the thing that, that I want in my life so badly and, and often do whatever it takes so that I can be in control of the situation. W- what would it be? What do you, what do you need to kill? And, and do you want to kill it? Because change is a call for some radical reorientation in your life. And, you know, what he said, I don't know if you caught it, he said, I'll just take the gradual thing, the gradual fix. And he said, no, there's there's none of that. I've got to kill it. I've got to kill it. I've got to kill it. And and I just wonder, are, are you you interested in that? Because change is traumatic. If you think it's going to be something gradual in your life, I don't think you understand what what change really is. Um, Right before the passage in Colossians, In verse 3 of this passage, Paul says, For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. That means what he's saying here is you're you're done. Your life is over with. It's something radical is happening. Complete change, a totally new self. And do do you want that? Do you want a changed life? Are you going to let something radical happen? I know know what you you know it. Like, I know I, I probably drink too much soda. And if I wanted to lose weight, I need to stop drinking pop or something like that. I know how, how to lose weight, but I don't, I, don't, I don't do it. Like There's so many things that I know how to do. Like I know all, if, if I wanted to, to do away with it, I just need to do this. I need to just be honest. I need to just tell someone. I need to get something put on my computer, whatever it might be. Are you willing to take the step, the radical step of change? Are you okay with just being comfortable? Is your, is your idea of change and of Christianity and, and what God has called you to a comfortable, gradual process, or is it something radical? So here's, here's another reflection question for you. What radically needs to change in your life? Maybe it's a relationship that you're in that is not a good thing. Maybe it's a habit. Maybe it's something that, that you've never told anyone, something that you've struggled with or dealt with or thought or been plagued by, and you've never been honest about it. Um, these things are hard. But what would it be? What would it be in your life? What do you need to kill? And, and don't just think of, of like, like I said, the, the, the dark kind of sins like lust or, or pornography or something like that. But maybe it's self-righteousness or, or a, a sense of pride that, that you're okay, that you don't need to change. There's nothing in your life. I've talked to enough students from Northwestern and Bethel to know that there are all kinds of things in your lives. That are, that are hurt and broken and need, need to be fixed because everybody is a fixer-upper. We, we all need change, but it's traumatic. That's the first point. Second thing, change is inside out. Here's what I mean. If you look at the, if you look at the text, um, you like that little graphic, you like how it just kind of flew in right there? That's, I'm trying to be fancy. Um, <coughs> Colossians 3, 9 through 11, let no one, you've you got to really look at it. 
Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self. So it doesn't say you've, you've put on the, you've not lied and so now you're new. It says you're new so you don't lie. Do you see that subtle distinction? Well, it, it's not saying if you do all the right things, then you'll be made new. It's saying something has to happen to make you new so that you won't lie. Um, it, it, it's pretty amazing. It's easy to think that, if you, that, that change is just doing more of the, of the right things and less of the wrong things, but that's not how he talks about change happening. Change happens because of the newness, and because you're new, because you've got a new self, you don't lie. Uh, here's here's another, another quote um, by C.S. Lewis. He says, there's either a warning or an encouragement here for every one of us if you are a nice person. When I think about Bethlehem Northwestern, I think about nice people. So, so you, you may want to listen in. Like I, and, and I'm talking to myself. I grew up in the southeast. It's the Bible Belt. And I went to a Christian college. And everyone there is pretty nice. You know? Maybe it's to all Minnesotans, like Minnesota nice. Um, but uh, there's a warning or an encouragement if you're a nice person. If virtue comes easily to you, beware. Much is expected from those to whom much is no. Oh, there it is. It's back. If you mistake for your own merits what are really God's gifts to you through nature, and if you are content with simply being nice, you may still be a rebel. And all those gifts will only make your fall more terrible, your corruption more complicated. Oh, it's up there. Your bad example more disastrous. The devil was an archangel once. His natural gifts were as far above yours as yours are above those of a chimpanzee. And you just need to be careful about being good or being nice and not being new because God is out to make you new and to change you from the inside out. And sometimes your, your goodness can blind you from your very need. I, I grew up in a Christian home. I grew up going to church every Wednesday night, every Sunday morning, every Sunday night. When I was a freshman in college, I was in four or five different Christian organizations. I even as a freshman was the president of the Baptist student organization, all five people. And, uh, and I rose to the top really, really quickly. And, and I, I didn't know Jesus because my, my niceness, my, my goodness blinded me. And so when I read this verse and I think the devil was an archangel once, like the devil was really good and really beautiful and really amazing, but it was the devil. Um, you have to be careful. And so, you know, like, like one example would be uh, th there are times, like uh, there's a lot of books and a lot of blogs right now that talk about sex in the United States and how now just the way that, that our culture talks about sex is so like hypersexualized, all that kind of stuff. And, and if you ever look back and watch like an old TV show, and have you ever seen Leave It to Beaver? So what kind of bed do the mom and dad sleep in? You know? Yeah, it's like two separate beds. Like they go to bed every night. It's like the, the, grand, the, the old people beds. You know, they're like right beside each other um, because it's avoiding the very, even the very hint that they would be under the covers together. And, and some people think, oh, you know, if we could just go back to those days, like that would be such a better thing because our nation is so, you know, sexualized and whatnot. And, and I would only argue that I think back in those days, it, people were just good. They, they put off um, what they thought was bad and they put on morality. And so now that our culture is, is moving in that way all the more, you see more and more people, more and more. Like how many of you have been to a church or had a pastor who had an affair? 
or, or know like a public figure that, that fell like that. I mean, it's just like every couple of months there'll be something in the news of, of some Christian minister where something amazing happened like that. And <coughs> I think it's, it's in part because they put on morality. They, they didn't put off the old self and put on a new self. They put on goodness. They put on doing the right thing. They put on willpower of trying to be made new by their own efforts. But change is from the inside out. Um, another way of saying it is, in that first verse, is do you obey God to be accepted or do you believe that you're accepted and therefore obey? Because something has happened in your life that, that, that moves to a, a new kind of life. Because like I said, I was, I was the, the illustration I thought of in college, I was like a snowflake. Um, I was, my, my goodness was intricate and maybe you could say that, that I was uh, pleasing to the like, snowflakes or, or pretty, right? But they're icy cold. And that was who I was growing up, was, was like an icy cold snowflake, I- intricate in the good things that I would do w- when there was all this pride and, and looking down on, at least I'm not like them, all in my life. Um, and so I thought that the way that I become different is, is I, do the, I do the good things. But the motives here, here, here what I think are the reasons that people would, would want to be good, is either one, out of fear, because you're afraid, if I don't do the right thing, God is going to punish me. God is not going to give me what I want. Um, I, I had two physically bad relationships in high school. And, and I, you know, for high school and college thought, if I get married one day, it's going to be bad because of what's happened here. And so my motive to try to be more pure in a relationship was because I didn't want I didn't want marriage one day to be messed up. Like I need, and and that's, that's not the right motive. Because that's not loving God for who he is. That's, that's being afraid of God punishing me. And so I wonder, what's your motive for wanting to walk with him? Is it fear? You, you don't want him to punish you? Um, or is it pride? Like I'm going to be good, so I won't be like those people. At least I'm not like her. Like I might be bad, but I'm not like she is. Or I, I'm, I'm a little bit better than him. Um, but I, I wonder what's your motive because that's not going to make you new, a, a new self, and that's what we're looking for. So, lastly, how do you get this? How do you get the new self, the new identity? Um, and this is this is my little phrase: supernatural change must be received, not achieved, not achieved. So, change is is traumatic. It's from the inside out. You're made new, and that leads you to be good. And then look at the passage. Um, do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self. And here's the phrase, which is being renewed, or uh, other translations say, which is being made new in the knowledge after the image of its creator. That, that word being made new, it doesn't say put on the new self, which you make new, which, which you do something to. It says it's being renewed. That means that your, yourself Something is happening to it. Something is acting on it. Uh, something is changing it. And <coughs> it, it's, it's not what you do, but what's done in you. And uh, then, then it goes on to say, here there is no Jew nor Greek, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but all is in Christ. Y- you have a radically new identity that's been, that's been given to you by Jesus. How many of you are Vikings fans? What about Packers fans? Is anyone in here like a, a fan other than like... Vikings or Packers? Okay, when, when, when your team is playing and 
Um, maybe experience this. I'm, I'm a Vikings fan. After the game in the playoffs, which is, I don't even like bringing it up. I'm sorry. I, if you're a Vikings fan, you're in here with me. So Blair Walsh misses the, the field goal, and we lose the first round of the playoff game. And uh, you see what I just did? I just did it. What did I say? Who lost it? We. You know, do you ever do that? Do you ever say, man, we, ha- we played terrible last night? Like your team, you know, like maybe you're not a, like on the Northwestern football team, but someone's like, hey, how did Northwestern play this week? And you're like, man, we did terrible. If you're on the football team, then you can actually say that in integrity. Um, but some of you aren't. Or uh, you're on like the, the Northwestern or Bethel volleyball team, and, and it's, it's, you know, they... They did badly, but someone's like, man, I can't believe we lost last night. And there's this identification that happens, right? All of you do this on some level where you talk about a team or something that you like in terms of we. Um, You know, uh, there have been times where I've talked about it, like, I can't believe that we lost that game. And someone will say, what did you do? Like, what did you play in the game? Um, But the, the, the same thing is true here. Just as you would identify yourself with a team, your identity has been hidden, has been given to you in Jesus because it's got to be received. Um, a, a, another way of having a new identity, you guys know Augustine. He, was, he, he grew up as a pretty uh, like perverted guy, had lots of illicit affairs, things like that. And after he became a Christian, he's walking down the street and, and one of his mistresses saw him and, and he didn't really acknowledge her. And then she, she said, Augustine, it is I. And then he turned around and said, I know, but it's not I. Because he had a new self. Like he was a new person. Something, something a radical new identity had been given there. So it's got to be received. If this is something that you do, then it will just make you prideful. If, if it's something that you do, then you'll never be secure because are you doing enough? Are you good enough? Can you make yourself change enough? Are you trying hard enough? If it's something that you do, then you'll be crushed because will you ever, will you ever bridge that gap between who you are and who you want to be? And, and here's how I think it, it, comes, it comes to us. You need the approval, you need the identity to be given to you from the outside. Um, a, a way to think about it would be you need, to, you need the esteem of someone that you esteem. Um, I took a preaching class with John Piper when I, uh, like five years ago. John Piper, uh, maybe all of you don't know him anymore. I mean, he's an older guy. He's, he spoke at our conference this year, and he's written, uh, you know, dozens of books, and he's a, he's a pretty well, relatively well-known preacher. And in the preaching, cl- like, when I give talks like this, sometimes, you know, a student will come to me and say, hey, that was a good job. Like, you did a good job. Or I'll do a welcome at church, and someone will, will say, hey, I really appreciated your welcome. But, you know, when Piper came and he spoke at, uh, at our conference, I picked him up at the airport, and I was giving him a ride to the hotel, and he said, Paul, you know, in his grisly voice, um, I think you do a really good job with the welcomes. It really ministers to me. And, uh, and at that moment, I'm like, you better believe I do a good job with the welcomes. <laughs> you know, that's right. Pastor P. Diddy, what's up? Um, and, uh, like, I've heard... Paul, you do a good job, or, or you're, you're so inviting when you're up front. But at that moment, when I had the, the esteem and the praise and, and the, the, ad, the admiration, if that's what it was, of someone that I think is, is pretty amazing, then it changes, it changes everything, right? 
And, and maybe you've experienced that before. Like when I took his preaching class, uh, he sent me an email after one of them and said, I thought you did a really good job in the sermon today. And I've still got the email saved in my inbox <laughs> that maybe I read every other day. <laughs> maybe I really need a lot of esteem. But it's, it's a, what's, what's really powerful about that is that's John Piper. Like who is John Piper? He's got a deep voice and he's in his 60s and he's got like a scraggly you know, hair mullet kind of thing going on. Um, and, and that... That affects me on a deep way. But the king of the universe has said, Paul, you are with me. You are mine. I I am yours. And and that kind of esteem, what, what greater esteem is there? What greater affection could be set on you? than the affection of, of the one who made everything. And, and, and we know that he loves us because what did he do? R- Romans says God demonstrates his love and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for you. The, the identity that you want has been given. It's been purchased. He, it, you know, the, the verse before it says, you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. There, there is no Jew nor Greek. Like the, there's all these things to make your identity are gone. It's just Christ. You've been renewed. You're, you are being made new because he esteems you. He, he invites you in. He loves you. Is, is that reality affecting your imagination? Is it affecting your thoughts? Do you, do you dwell on it? Like, like I said, I mean, I literally put John Piper's email in a folder that I go back occasionally and read when I have bad days because it's like, oh yeah, okay, I can, I can do this. Like, John Piper had faith in me. It's like, why... Why do I need that when, when I can go and, and look and see that, that, I'm that I'm the apple of his eye, that he bled and died for me, that, that he calls me his beloved, that he says that, that one day I'm going to be with him forever and be made perfect, and that he actually sees me as perfect right now. Because when you believe that, when you're given that identity, when you see how beautiful he is, and how, how esteemable he is, but yet he esteems you and he loves you, that starts to change you from the inside. You get an identity outside of yourself. And when that starts to change, you start to live differently. You start to do traumatic, radical things in your life. So it's kind of the reverse. A- as you understand that this identity has been given to you by Jesus' death on your behalf, th- then, then you start to change because you've got this new self and then traumatic, radical things happen in your life. But it all starts here. It all starts in knowing this and, and being aware of what you want to change and how are you trusting Jesus to bring about that change. Not trusting yourself, not trusting your goodness, not, not an achieved identity, but one that is received. Um, so let me pray, and then we're going to sing a few songs and celebrate the identity that we have and the Savior that, that we worship. Um, God, thank you that that we can be a room full of fixer-uppers who, who have awkward moments and who are aware that, that who we are is not who we, we want to be, that we want to see change happen in our lives. Um, thank you that you don't ask us to bring about that change. You haven't called us to, to work really hard to be new, but you've made us new. You, you've done the, the worst is over with you. You tell us, he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not graciously along with him give us all things? Change, growth. Uh, Lord, I, I can only imagine that this room is filled with men and women 
who look at their lives and want something to be different. Maybe they've, they've been a Christian for 10 years and there's something in their lives that they think, am I a Christian? Because this is still there. This hasn't changed. I don't see any hope for this in my life. But, but you, because of, of the esteem of Jesus upon us, there, there is the promise of radical change, a completely new self. We want to be made new. We want to be changed. And so would you do that work? W- would you convict us? Would you open our eyes of, the, of the, the lizards on our shoulder, the things that we hold on to, the idols that we have, and, and put those to death by the overwhelming power and value of Jesus Christ? And so it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Campus Outreach Minneapolis, the college ministry of Bethlehem Baptist Church. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without written permission from Campus Outreach Minneapolis. For more information, we invite you to visit us online at cominneapolis.org.